Discipleship, that's the theme, not only for the theme for our worship this morning, but theme of our worship over the next few weeks. So I thought this morning, well, Andrew and I thought this morning, but it was going to be me anyway, so uh, I wasn't too surprised, despite his cold, for leading worship this morning. But I was allocated the role of doing kind of a general introduction to discipleship. So I thought I'd better look at the word, and I'm looking at Elaine again here with the Greek and Latin and all that kind of thing, but I, I thought I'd better start off with the word, which is where discipleship comes from. It's from the Greek, mathe, I can't even say it, mathetus, is that right? Yeah, good, I got it right, wonderful. I wasn't a wonderful Greek scholar, I did do Greek for a year, but I wasn't a wonderful Greek scholar at college. I can't see how discipleship comes from that, but clearly it does, that's the word. But also, and that means student or pupil. But also, and this one I do not dispute, disciple comes from disciplus in Latin, which is much more clear to see that link, isn't it? Which means learner, who accepts and follows the given doctrine of a teacher. And that is really the definition of disciple, somebody who learns, somebody who accepts the doctrine and teacher, of a teacher and tries to follow that doctrine. A disciple isn't somebody who is exclusively a follower of Jesus. Because in Old Testament times, there were disciples. All of the Old Testament key figures, the prophets and the rabbis, had disciples. It was really one of their fashionable accessories. No, I jest. I don't mean it like that. But clearly, everybody who was a teacher, somebody who was outstanding in society, people did listen to them, did follow them, and try and emulate their life and what they did. It's recorded that Moses had disciples, Isaiah had disciples, and Elisha. And of course, we know John the Baptist also had people who followed him who were like disciples. Apparently, in both Old and New Testament times, Jewish boys learned the Torah, and those who had excelled at it could apply to, well, I guess you would call it the equivalent of our secondary schools, for those who were very bright, and they could ask the teachers, ask the rabbis, if they could be their student. If accepted, they would imitate their life, they would inculcate their values, and ultimately they would reproduce their teaching and go on to have disciples of their own. So it's like, I suppose, a wise teacher had disciples. Discipleship at the time of Jesus required, and it did throughout that time, a life of commitment, requiring that the Talmudin, which is name for the followers, for the students, would leave home at times and leave family and focus their life and their attention upon their teacher, the person that they followed. It was with that background, in that context, that Jesus called his disciples. They knew the score. They knew that it was a life of commitment, a life of dedication, following the teacher. And of course, Jesus being a rabbi, Jesus being a significant person in the society, he was somebody who attracted disciples. But it was for him different in some significant ways. As disciples, they and we are not apprentices honing our skills so that we can have disciples and therefore point to us and to our teaching and to our lives We're not looking for people who ultimately will be our disciples. We are people who would share, perhaps, in the work that Jesus does by pointing to Jesus. And clearly also, Jesus pointed to the Father. We're not going to get a people who are following us. We're meant to be following Jesus. 
The starting point for disciples these days to do also is slightly different as well. We're all created for relationship. We have a picture for this one. There we go. Disciples, well, I suppose the starting point for discipleship in the Christian context is that we're all created for relationship with God. Marina, do you want to read this first reading? It's a very, very short reading, only one and a, one and a half verses, this one. So glad you're sitting near the front. This is from Genesis 1, verses 27 to 31. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Amen. So in the beginning then, we see in those verses, we see that we are are created by God to be in relationship with him. He's provided everything for us. And that is the ultimate way that we're meant to live. And this whole idea of discipleship goes on from that, that we are walking, as it says right in the beginning in in Genesis, it talks about how Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. It's just, just fantastic that he was able to have that intimate relationship with God. And unless we have that kind of relationship where we walk with God, we, well, in many senses, are not complete in our lives. Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, God placed eternity in the hearts of men. So without that relationship, without that discipling from God, there is a God-shaped hole. I would contend then, for full life, we need to have that life of discipleship. So... That's the first thing we look at when we look in Genesis about discipleship. But also, as we go on, we see that Jesus' disciples were a little bit different from others because he chose his disciples. We read in a moment from Matthew 4, verse 18, about how originally, do you remember I was saying about the disciples of the contemporary times, of those times in Jesus' time, actually applied to be disciples of the teacher and if their application forms were good if they'd filled out their cv i don't think it's quite like that but if they actually applied and they said yes yes that's good enough to be part of my, my team you can come and you can learn from me then they're allowed to be part of his team but jesus chose his disciples in rather a different way shall we hear from matthew chapter 4 good to see you charlotte beginning at verse 18 to 22 calling of the first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, 
and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left. They left the boat and their father and followed him. It seems in many ways kind of a bit random, doesn't it, that he just saw these people, they were fishing, and he said, oh, I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, but, or the other way around. But it, it just does in many ways seem to be quite random, but Jesus is very intentional, isn't he, about who he chooses. When you think about the team that he had, they weren't the perfect scholars. They weren't the people that you know, would be representative of the cream of society. They were diverse, and there were people that when we look now, we can look and we can see and we can identify, can't we? When you think of the disciples, can you see how, well, the 12 disciples, there was obviously clearly more and more disciples who were followers of Jesus. But but when we actually look at that that random, seemingly, selection that Jesus made, that Jesus chose, can we not identify with one or another at particular times in our lives, can't we? The impulsive Peter, the doubting Thomas. We can see, can't we, that those different characteristics were, were blended together, perhaps, by Jesus as he chose them to help us, but also to be the team that he to inspire and to lead others to go and be disciples and make disciples for themselves. So Jesus chose the disciples because that was important that they were in relationship with God, but he also chose the disciples in a way which was different from the uh, old prophets and teachers of old who looked at the applications and decided whether they were good enough. But just as Jesus chose his disciples, Jesus also chooses us. We read in John 15, 16 about that. And Robbie, I think this is just one or two verses in this reading as well. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. That instruction is for us also, that he has chosen us and he has called us. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And and he does that now, not by Jesus walking around and and seeing us um, by the seaside, just at the moment in Aberystwyth, it would not be the place to be, would it really? But, But he doesn't kind of just pick us up out of our environment in that physical way, does he, that he did with these disciples, but through his Holy Spirit, the reality of the gospel has actually drawn you into this place. Maybe it drew you into this place or into another place many, many years ago. Maybe it's something more recent. But God has called you here. You're here because God has chosen you to be like he chose the original disciples, to be fishers of men. But also it goes on in that passage to say that he chose us to love one another. He commands us to love one another. And this is the way that Jesus contends that we are to be. And part of that being a disciple is, as um, let's just pray as we as Jenny and Margaret go, we do pray, Lord, that um, Margaret, if she's not feeling well at the moment, we, Lord, we pray your presence upon her. We pray your healing upon her. We pray that she will know your love surrounding her. As we 
we move on, as we think about Jesus. And one of the ways in which we're called as disciples, we're chosen as disciples, it's part of our, our DNA, part of the way in which we have to be to be in that fulfilled life. But also it says in our next reading that we are recognized by being that loving people. We're recognized by his love as being his disciples. Let us get Robbie just to read that one verse. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That sounds really nice and really fluffy, but actually when you think about it, it's really quite tough, isn't it? Because what Jesus is saying in that passage is, if you're a disciple of mine, people will see it in you. If only that were always true. <laughs> I just find that kind of in many ways, it's, it's something you just have to, you know, just, just hand to God and say, please, Lord, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and it's definitely the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, isn't it? There are so many times when we can feel guilty, can't we, because we think, really, was I actually displaying Christ's love in that situation? But this is, it talks, doesn't it, about being transformed by God, and we will be transformed by God into being that recognizable disciple of him because of the love that he displays through us and sometimes even despite us. It is tough being a disciple of Jesus. It's tough coming here and, and, and you know, trying to aim through the power of the Holy Spirit to be that disciple and, and to disciple others in the name of Jesus. And if it wasn't tough enough to just have that challenge of being recognized, there are other passages that show how much more difficult at times when it really is to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus majors on the challenges of being a disciple, the cost of, of following Jesus, in a passage that's accounted in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And I think this is the first time, last time you need to get up and do a reading, isn't it, Robbie? So Luke 9, carrying about the cost of being a disciple. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus replied. Foxes of holes and birds of the air have nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his head to <clears throat> sorry, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. All of a sudden it gets tougher, doesn't it? being a disciple. I think if you sum up this passage simply, it's saying that where are our priorities? It's not saying family aren't important because clearly family are important. It's saying actually that Jesus is more important. It's saying, as it says in that passage, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you in a sense that, that God knows that family are important but it's just a matter of priorities. When I think of, of my priorities about the way in my own life, how things should be, I think God should be first, family should be next, 
and ministry should be next. Do you know what I mean? That, that I'm not saying that being a minister isn't important, but if my child were needing me and I needed to be at a meeting, I would actually, if it, I would, would weigh those things under the guidance of God. But it's just trying to, to work out it, each individual instance what actually is most important. But God isn't saying, you know, that, that what you do is more important than your family. What he's saying is listening to me, responding to my call should be, if you are a disciple, top priority. When we think of the context of this passage, people already, as I've explained, and you probably already knew, knew a bit about what being a disciple was. But Jesus is saying, yes, you know that much, but actually I'm requiring that and then some. Jesus was explaining to the people, I'm not searching for popularity Jesus was already very popular and lots of people wanted to follow him. He could have, if he wanted to, created a Jesus cult. He could have had this, this you know, sort of wonderful teaching kind of responsibility where the people would have come, they would have followed him, they would have hero-worked him. But he wasn't wanting that. He wasn't about creating a fan base. He didn't want Twitter followers of the first century equivalent. He wanted to not just you know, get people to, to look up to him and to, to follow him so he could teach them and, and show them the way that he was to be. He's going here in this passage to show the challenge and show what actually the heart of being a disciple is. So when somebody says to him, I will follow you wherever you go, he says, you don't really understand what you're saying. You can't follow me to a place. There isn't some place where we're going to be. I don't even have a place to lay down my head. It isn't about some utopia being a disciple that we're heading towards. Discipleship actually is about attitude of heart. It's about a state of being. It isn't about you and and me going somewhere. It's about us together journeying. And when we think about us as we journey, as we look in particularly the next few weeks, as we explore about discipleship, Ultimately, yes, we are, as it says in in the Bible, we're on a journey together to eternity. But we are, as we are challenged with what it is to be a disciple, already participating in that. Discipleship is about constant transformation of who we are. It's not just about ultimate destination. It's not about achievement. It's not about what we do. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being discipled through the power of his Holy Spirit. The journey itself is the destination. Discipleship is about God with us and us with God. It's about what is happening right now from today. We don't have to wait until next week until we look at specific areas of discipleship. We can encounter, we can have that relationship with God now from this minute and say, Lord, what do you want to do with me? Not just what does it say in the surveys and what I wrote down, but what do you want to do with me as we walk together day by day with God in prayer? So when the man says, I want to follow you, and I'm going to follow you, but... I just need to first get things in order. Jesus says, follow me now. When things are in order, it might be too late. 
It's a now thing that we need to look at with discipleship. Let me be involved in everything that you are now. The destination isn't what we can work on or achieve tomorrow. It's our union together as we were created to be. It's back to Genesis 1, 27, isn't it, again? When God created humanity and, and he created them for a relationship and he said they are good. But with that relationship missing, it isn't as good. We do have choices. I've kind of lumped everybody together and say that we are disciples and we are intending to follow. But, but for some people, that challenge is a bit too much. And we do prefer to be on the fringe and just prefer to have that more gentle way. I think you're missing out. However, we have choices. There are a few different versions of, of this passage in the different Gospels. And in Matthew 8:18, this whole incident is recounted. And it's followed by the story of the calming of the storm and then the subsequent healing of the demon-possessed men. And do you remember how the demons went into the pigs and went off the side of the cliff? And following this sequence, we read that the whole town went out to meet Jesus. Were they going to hero-worship him? Were they going to create a new website in honor of him? When they saw him, they pleaded that he leave their region. They couldn't hack it. Discipleship for them was too tough a journey. And for us today, we may look at it and think, no, I can't do this. But yet, it is tough. It's also a tremendous journey. Discipleship brings fulfillment. It fills that God-shaped hole in our lives. It brings that eternity into our lives that God has placed there. It brings faith. It brings fulfillment. It brings purpose. It brings direction. It brings wholeness. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go really well. But it means that the life that God has chosen for us can be led because we're doing it and the journey is alongside him. Jesus did say some nice stuff about discipleship. I could go on about that stuff, but we are then going to go on to communion and we wouldn't have time. And Andrew's not here to say to me, Sally, get going. We don't have such a long sermon. But one of the nice things he said about discipleship, I suppose, was Matthew 10, verse 29, when he said, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or friends for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come. It might be tough, but it will also be tremendous. Discipleship, after all, is what and who we're made for. Let us, even now, commit to seek and follow Jesus, to leave our nets if it's required of us, and follow him. And I encourage you, as if you've not already done it, as you fill in your forms, or I encourage you, if you've already done it, or as you do it, to reflect and to pray and to say, what does the difference in my life mean? 
if I seriously take this challenge to be a disciple. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us. We thank you, Lord, that you want to walk the journey with us. Whatever the challenges in our lives, whether it's with work, with family, with our faith, with our health, whatever the challenges that we face, Lord, we thank you that you want to be with us. You don't want to be pushed to one side until it's all sorted out because you want to come into our mess and we surrender all in our lives to you. Do we thank you that you will take the tough times as well as the good times and make them tremendous for you. Help us as we offer ourselves to you to know that you have chosen and that you appoint us you love us and you call us to be fishers of men, women and children for your kingdom pointing to Jesus Amen